Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Many are using the term epidemic to describe the current problem of drug and or alcohol abuse in the United States. Virtually everyone we know has been negatively impacted by this problem. Yet for so many that are experiencing the devastating effects of drug and or alcohol abuse, they don't know who to turn to for help. Who can we trust to care for our loved ones? Transformations Treatment Center is one of the most respected, ethical, and professional drug and alcohol treatment centers in the world with a strong focus on individualized care, offering a wide range of holistic, specialized, and medically supervised treatment programs. We know that many of you have questions. Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from the New York area, we have retired NYPD Lieutenant Peter Pranzo on the phone. Peter's also an author. Peter, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me on, Jay. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. Before we get into our conversation, Peter, I want to talk about your books. How many have you written? The one that just came out is my third one. That's called Harlem Raiders, correct? It is. My first one was a book on stress management for law enforcement. My other one, my second one, was about my career. It was Behind the Shield, A Journey Through the NYPD, and that was my actual entire career. And then my one that I just put out uh, is The Harlem Raiders, and it's about my narcotics team back in the 70s and 80s, where we had a diverse group of men, four black cops, three white cops and one Spanish cop and me, one Italian hot-headed kid, young (laughs) sergeant, and we made some headway into central Harlem, the 32nd precinct, about one square mile, which was deluged with narcotics, heroin mostly, and by way of three mafioso families. So that's what the story is about, about that team and how we took back the streets by working with community leaders and working with the DEA. And uh, we did a lot of work, made about 8,000 arrests over seven years and uh, made a little bit of history there. And we're all over the newspapers and such back in the day. And we tied that into what's going on today with the narcotics from coming from Mexico. The narcotics back then came from Turkey, uh, into down into Palermo, and from Palermo it came over to uh, America by boat, olive boats, and then over to the Bronx where they cut it all up and brought it over to Harlem and used the Harlemites to sell and hawk the drugs throughout central Harlem, which became the center point of murder 
and narcotics throughout America. It was the center point back in the day. Where can people get more information about the book and buy it? Oh, Harlem Raid is available everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and anywhere books are sold. Now that story, Harlem Raiders, is that a fiction or is that fiction based on truth or is that a, a, a true story? It's based on truth. It's a novel based on a true story. Some names have been changed, some boundaries. We added some characters to it. And it sort of, I'd say it's about 90% super accurate. But, of course, we did change to protect the different people right. in the community and some of the undercovers and such. We did change names around a bit. Plus, but I think it, it makes it a little bit more interesting. I'll just say, for example, my wife asked me, and friends always ask me about the television series The Wire. They say, "Does is that truthful? Is it? And I'll say this. I see elements of six or seven people I know in each character. It's, they like, for drama reasons, they take all these things and combine it in one. Yes, exactly what we did. Number one, it made it more interesting. It was more protective and secure for the people that were actually involved because a lot of the people passed away. Some of them got shot and one of them uh, took his own life. And so there were a lot of things that we had to protect, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and it worked out very well. It's, it's going over very well. It's uh, it's got some great ratings, and we hear a lot of good things, and we have some people looking at it uh, for films and such. So we're keeping our fingers crossed in that area. But Harlem Raiders, it's a good book. It's a good, fun read. It's exciting. It's a family story, an adult story, of course, and it's about the multiple families, some black families, Spanish, and, of course, my family and my wife involved and everything else. So it's, it's, a, it's a good read. Right now... Policing is very much in the news, uh, and, and for a lot of different reasons. And there is a lot of controversy, a lot of protesting, a lot of riots, a lot of threats against officers' lives. And I know that your career, you started in policing back in 1968, correct? That is correct, Jay. It is. 1968, a day before Martin Luther King got assassinated. And the reason I bring that up is, and I keep telling people this, as upsetting as what we're, we see going on now, as upsetting as the violence is against police, this is not new. This is something that you know, I started in 1980, and I thought I was old. Peter, you got me by a few years. I'll just give you that. All right? <laughs> I'm going to say that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this stuff went on back in the day. It was going on, and it was rampant in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and even into the 90s. This is not new stuff. None of it. None of it, and I feel so bad. I try some of the articles I've written uh, recently on police brutality and community relations and, and some of the other major topics. I feel so bad, and I reach out on social media to all the young cops out there on the street. This is something you have to go through, and it happens every few years. And it happened before I came on the job in the uh, civil rights uh, activations in the early 60s. In 1964, they had the Harlem riots, which spread, I guess, countrywide in 1964, civil rights riots. And, oh, it was just uh, it was a terrible time for police work. And then in the night, when I came on in 68, when Martin Luther King got assassinated, we had more riots, and it was understandably so. It was just a terrible situation. 
On top of that, in the late 60s, we had the Vietnam War protests and the draft burning, and we had the anti-war demonstrations, and then we had the Black uh, Panthers from that started in Chicago when an offshoot into the uh, Black Liberation Army, and which uh, infiltrated heavy into New York, which I was involved in, and a few of my people got involved. And uh, it, it was a terrible time for policing. They were killing black and white teams, you know, partners. That's who the uh, Black Liberation Army, Joanne Chesimar, was targeting at the time. So when you had a black cop and a white cop working together, they were targeted. A bunch of them got assassinated, Piagentini and Jones and Forster and Laurie, a lot of people that I knew. And so it, we had no bulletproof vests, of course, back then, and we still had our revolvers, and it was just a terrible time for policing. On top of that, in the 70s, early 70s, uh, we had the Knapp Commission, and that was about corruption in the police department. And you talk about contempt for the police. It was terrible. We were at an all-time low as far as policing going in New York and around the country. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today radio show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. That's Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. We're going to take a short break. We are talking with Peter Pranzo. Peter is a retired NYPD police lieutenant. He's also an author of three books. Ladies, is called Harlem Raiders. This is Law Enforcement Today show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Return conversation with Peter Pranzo. Peter is a retired NYPD lieutenant. He's also an author of three books. His latest is called Harlem Raiders. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Uh, Peter, you're retired NYPD. Your career spanned from 1968 to, was it 1988, 89? 89. I retired in 1989, got banged up a bit and got on disability, and I finished up with the rank of lieutenant. And I, uh, my last few years, five years on the job, I worked the citywide uh, street crime unit, and that was like uh, it was a plainclothes undercover team, and it was essentially a gun and robbery squad, a unit of about 200 to 300 men with a few lieutenants and sergeants, and we went out in plainclothes. We did some decoy work. We did some, uh, a lot of gun work and robberies, street robberies and such. And uh, that's what happened today. They, that unit got knocked out right after the Diallo shooting. Avenue Diallo got shot, and I think that was around 1999 or so, when they knocked out my unit. I was long retired by 10 years, but that unit got knocked out. 
And now today you understand they knocked out all the plainclothes units, the anti-crime teams around the city. About another 600 cops got put back in uniform, and they were gun cops and robbery cops. These were your best of the bunch. These were tough, tough young guys and gals, and they went out and they really did a good job, and they could smell a gun two blocks away on a perp, and they could just see the way he was eyeballing, the way he was hitching, he was walking, uh, looking for bulges. And uh, looking, when they see the, they made them a little bit, which was okay. They would make the plainclothes cops. They would look to dump the gun and everything else, uh, yeah. the paraphernalia that went with it. And Baltimore did the same thing, I guess, about a year or so ago. They, they decided, that we had, they had nicknames for us in Baltimore. They called us knockers or jump-out squads. And, and these men and women, the plainclothes people, there's a big difference between plainclothes and undercover and then deep cover. So plainclothes officers, it gives you a moment or two before they recognize it. But generally, they could tell your police and it's easier to run in sneakers and jeans than it is in a uniform with all that stuff. Trust me, it is. But these are the men and women that actually seek out violent criminals. And they find them. And quite often, when bad stuff happens, it involves them. And it's to be expected, isn't it? Yes, it is. It was a kind of a, a violent prone unit, if it's, that's the way to phrase it, because it, it came with the, with the job, with the assignment. So you, you're always chasing people. And, uh, you know, and, and so it, they didn't go easy. And that's what I try to explain to the young people today. And when I talk to many of them and say, you know, I always start off when I talk about a necessary force. I did an article on a police necessary force versus police fatality, uh, brutality. So what happened is that I explained to them that police work in the enforcement portion of it is ugly work. It never looks good. Never. never. I mean, you know, never. No people just don't, you know, it, it, it's ugly. So when they say, oh, you had three, took three cops or four cops to put the cuffs on, when somebody doesn't want to be handcuffed, first you got to catch them. That's number one. First, you got to catch them and tackle them to the ground, and, and, and how you get them to, to hold them, to get them cuffed. When somebody doesn't want to be handcuffed, and I'm not talking about a big guy as a whole, they'll be throwing you around like a piece of paper. It's so, impossible. We, Peter, we it, did that in the academy, and, and part of the training was, it is, if someone doesn't want to be handcuffed, you could take a small woman, and if they don't want to be handcuffed and actively resist, there's, there's no way you can cuff them without using some degree of force. And the wrestling, I hate to say this, it puts the suspect and the cops at risk because it's just, it, it, it prolongs the resistance and the possible assault. It just, it makes things worse. Yeah, exactly right, Jay. I have to tell you, when I, when I went into the academy, which we had limited training compared to what they have today. Today, it's overwhelming. It's so much better training. And so we had a lot of boxing, you know. And I, so there you go. We had boxing and we had nightstick training, you know, the, uh, the, the heavy sticks. And that was it, you know. So as far as we had a little bit of wrestling, a little bit of self-defense and judo, just a tiny bit. But most of the police work out there today is a wrestling match and it looks like all holy and today with all the cameras that you have out there today just that people never saw it before they saw it once in a while people would catch it on on cameras when they would have their cameras or such a, a situation but today every arrest 
everything a cop does out there, it's on the car cams, it's the body cams, it's this, and everybody has their cell phone, and they'll, you know, either they'll instigate and start and, and do something or, or not, but it looks like and it, it, it never goes easy, and these are what the young cops and the people, the men and women are putting up with out there today, and the, uh, and the people, the, uh, the criminals, uh, the perps out there, they know that. And they could take a hit. They could take a beating. They don't care. They, they'll get money out of it. And so hit me. Hit me again. You know, uh, I don't care. What, I don't care if I was wanted for murder. But, you know, that's the kind of a thing. And I always told the guys, you know, even when I, when I worked the last few years I worked, look, number one, it doesn't look good. Those last bangs on the head, whether it's with a stick or your fist, it never looks good. Do it as fast as you physically can. Roll them cuff them, pick them up off the floor, and get them in the car. Throw them in the car and get them out of there. That's right. When it's over, when they're cuffed, it's over. And if if you're in a position where you are losing your cool, which can happen very easily for a lot of reasons, and I'm not saying it's because a bad guy. Uh, I'm just saying adrenaline could be a lot of things. They could have killed a kid. It could be whatever. If you feel yourself losing control, pass a prisoner off to someone else and let them handle it while, so you don't put yourself at risk. That's correct, Jay. It's so true. And, you know, we're, we're so many cops and we're involved. You know, we had 30,000 people on the NYPD. Now it's probably 35,000 unless they start laying people off. God knows what their intentions are. But we have so many different cops with different personalities, different strengths, different techniques, you know, different uh, physical attributes. So, and now you got the woman involved as well. So some, what I found with the woman, and I used to explain to because I really never had women on the job until my last few years I had to supervise, you know. And I used to explain to the gals, I said, look, number one, don't overdo. Don't try to compensate because you're a woman. You want to show the guys that you're just as tough and take the extra hits and get involved into things you shouldn't be. So I used to explain that to the woman. On the same token, I used to explain to the guys, don't you show off to the woman. You know, now you got women with you. I'll handle this. And you act tougher than what is necessary for us. There's a, that's a, 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 stay in your lane is what, the, what I hear so often. And you were absolutely right. We had men and women I call them all guys, but we had men and women and some men were very big, very strong, and they were very physically overpowering. And then we had some men who weren't and everybody, if I was in a brawl, Peter, if I needed help, I need to back up. I didn't care how big, how small you were, your gender. If all you could do is grab a hand and grab a hand and the more people get there, the better we get the person cuffed and we go all about our evening and go to a home to our family. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We're talking Peter Pranzo, retired NYPD, also an author. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Epidemic. America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost, and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888 
991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. And online at transformationstreatment.center. Back to our conversation with Peter Pranzo. Peter is a retired NYPD police lieutenant. He's also an author of three books. His latest is called Harlem Raiders. We'll tell you where you can find I'll give you a hint. You can Google it and find it pretty much everywhere. One of the things that I find of, I'll be honest with you, Peter, I get aggravated with people. They'll talk about the violence of police work nowadays as if it was a walk in the park in the 80s and 90s, as if it was easy in the 60s, and it wasn't. We have what I call old wheel gun cops, old revolver cops like myself and you. When I started, we were given a vest with a front panel only, uh, a nice stick, which we all traded in for a really large one like a table leg, <laughs> mace that only worked on innocent bystanders and police, and a thirty-eight revolver. That's what we carried. We had notebooks, and we were taught the, the most important thing we had weapon-wise was our brain, that you learn how to be a good street cop. But those weren't easy times. They were very, very violent times, especially in New York City. Yes, correct. It was uh, a time, you know, in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. You had the uh, drug trafficking was very heavy. Uh, armed perps. So that was, at one time, it was called Dodge City, then Gun City and Fear City. Uh, you know, we were up close to 3,000 homicides a year, you know, and uh, it was just uh, the bodies were all over the street. It was a terrible. It was a lot of black-on-black crime, which was a real shame. It's, the difference, though, we what we had then, what I see lacking just a little bit today now in this last few weeks, uh, we really had some strong community ties. And it's time today for the community to step forward, the good people in the community to step forward. And they're afraid. And back then, we had some good strong community support so it was the, the the line between the bad guys and the good guys it was a it was a line that was very uh, clearly drawn so it was the people from all around the city they wanted to police there and then you could do your job if it comes to the point where they don't want to police there got yourself a problem yeah and you're not going to you're not going to change that it we, we live in a society, it's like a pendulum effect. It swings from one extreme to the other. And right yep. now, I, I know Mayor de Blasio is talking about cutting a billion dollars in the NYPD budget. And the first thing that happens when they do that, by the way, I don't care what city is, they, they cut back on training. Then programs like Police Athletic League and things to help out kids go by the wayside. And everybody goes into uniform patrol, uh, the backbone of your local departments. And that's what happens. And then they'll have a new election. A new mayor will come in, and they're the ones who run the police department, and they'll say, no, 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 we're going to start addressing this crime, we're going to do this and that. So, Here's what I say, and I don't 
care. There's no really no nice way of saying it. People complain about what happens with our police departments. And I have to say this. Who voted for the mayors? You're the people who are at fault. You're the people who made this happen. I don't care how you sugarcoat it. You are to blame. That is, boy, so, you know, it, it, it starts at the top, and the people are to blame because they don't realize, you know, they've gotten so used to the crime reduction, and other than Chicago and a few of the cities, and I really feel hurt for those people in Chicago. My God, I want to go over there and bring some people over there and, and do what has to be done, outreach for the community, and work those areas, target to certain locations, and I'm telling you right now, in 30 days, you could... You could bring down that crime into less than a half than what it is. I feel so bad about it. But in, in New York City, we were so high on that. And then it, then it went all the way down with people like Mayor Giuliani. And we had some good, tough police commissioners, a lot of tough young cops. And we brought the crime down. And the community loved it. Now, there was some... And there was some fallout. I'm not going to deny that. Uh, maybe it was an overreach too much with the stop and frisk maybe they were making it mandatory they put quotas on the amount of stop and frisks and such because they wanted to continue what they were doing probably a little bit unnecessarily so but crime went down and in new york city and a lot of cities around america crime went down so substantially that they feel that well it won't go back up Everything is going to be fine. So maybe we don't need as many police uh, or the police are causing problems. But I think the people, and they're getting a little taste of it now, they're seeing how quickly things can turn. And the average person, and I mean black, white, I don't care what they are, Spanish, Italian, Irish, whatever, God bless. They're getting a look at what could be, and a lot of them are afraid. Now, I'm not talking about the rioters and the looters. I'm not talking about that element or the Antifa or whatever they want to be called. Not those anarchists. I'm talking about the residents, the 95% of residents. They're a little bit afraid. They're a little bit say, what's going to happen to our community? We need policing because a lot of the older folks, they remember what it was like when you couldn't go to the store. You couldn't pick up bread and milk. You couldn't shop. You could not go to church. People back in the 70s and 80s were locked in their homes. They were afraid to go to school, afraid to go to church. They were afraid to go for a walk to the local park. And the drug dealers and the murderers, rapists, they were all over the place. And it was guns all over the place. So they remember very well. So you and mark what I'm saying, mark my words, Jay, in very short order, in a matter of months. People say, oh, it's going to take a few years. No, it's not. It's going to take a few months of this before the people, the residents of all the major cities are going to get a handle on it and say, wait a second, this is not what we want. This is not what we bargained for. And so they're going to, it's going to go back to policing as it was and I tell the young cops out there today, stand tall, stand proud, watch out for yourself and your families, protect your pension, protect your fellow cop out there, the guys and gals, stand tall, be careful, watch your family, watch yeah. yourself. And, you know, and don't, do anything, don't do anything stupid. It, yes. So many people got into trouble, and career-ending trouble, 
And they were good police. They were good people. They weren't racist. They weren't any of that stuff. They weren't corrupt because they did something stupid. And then they made the fatal mistake. They lied about it. And that ended their career. And I'll be honest with you. Peter, you and I both know people like that. And when people say this thin blue line of silence that all these cops are like, "Uh, I didn't see anything. Well, here's what happens. Quite a few people are not willing to risk going to jail or losing their income or losing the health insurance for their family because someone else made a stupid mistake and then lied about it. Yeah. A fine line. And when it comes to criminal behavior, oh my goodness, it just, uh, we, we didn't yeah. tolerate that. Um, One of the things that I want to go back to your conversation, I, I have, I said this many times in the show, my grandparents, when they immigrated from Ireland, them and their families, they all settled in New York, New Jersey. I was born in Northern Jersey. And although I was a Navy brat, we returned to visit family all the time. And in the 60s and 70s, New York City was not a place you wanted to be. When we go visit, you did not go to Times Square. You did not ride the subway. You did not do these things because it was absolutely taking your life in your hands. I remember taking the graduation trip for a senior year of high school. We went to New York City. This was 1976, Peter. We took the Circle <laughs> Line tour of New York City, heading out to the Statue of Liberty. And what did I see floating in the water? A dead body. A body of a young man who was killed in a murder. And this was not uncommon, but it's become very uncommon and very rare up until recently. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. One of the questions I get all the time is, how can I show my support for law enforcement? Well, we're all busy. You probably can't go to a protest march. You probably can't go pick it somewhere. But there's something very simple you can do with Facebook. When you see a post that you agree with, that you like, share it to your page. It's just that simple. Think of it this way. Facebook has about 2 billion registered users worldwide. So you can make a difference. And one of the best places to find great posts about law enforcement, our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Click like and follow. And when you see posts that you like, you agree with, especially episodes of the radio show and podcast, be sure to share it on your social media. Again, do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Be sure to click like and follow. We're going to take a short break, return our conversation with Peter Pranzo, retired NYPD and author. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Attention to anyone that's written a book or wants to write a book. The process is not that complicated. Take a first step. Even if you write a page a day, you'll build momentum and your book will become a reality. The hard part is getting it published. That's when you need to call Page Publishing. They've got hundreds and hundreds of thank yous from different new authors just like you. They make the process of publishing your new book and getting it sold online a simple process. You can learn how simple it is right now by calling for your free page publishing new author submission kit one quick three-minute phone call that's all it takes to get free information and learn how you can get your book published pick up your phone right now and call us 24 hours a day at this number 800-589-1848 that's 800-589-1848 
Back to our conversation with Peter Pranzo. Peter is a retired NYPD lieutenant, and he is also an author of three books. Uh, his latest book's called Harlem Raiders. Peter, you were on the job from 1968 to 1989. I want to say thank you for your service. Very much appreciated. And you are what I very, this is a term of endearment for me. You're an old wheel gun cop. You saw, you started with a 38 revolver, correct? That is correct, Jay. We had that, and up until the day I retired, and I, matter of fact, I wrote some articles on uh, semi-autos compared to revolvers, and I ruffled some feathers in New York City trying to get them to switch to the semi-automatics. As a matter of fact, we were one of the last departments to go over to the semi-autos, and the thinking of them from the uh, higher-ups in the police department and the mayors at the time was that... The NYPD was too expensive, it was going to be too dangerous, it was going to be lawsuits involved, it, they thought it was going to be a shoot 'em up city, and the cops would go crazy with the guns, they couldn't keep the guns clean, the semi-autos, and they really just overlooked the good men and women of the police department. And I wrote articles about it, and I said, come on now, it's time, and I laid it all out about why. And like I said, back in the day, you had six shots, but we didn't. You know what it was? Everybody, and I talk about that all the time, back in the day, uh, we had a 10 card, they called it, and you had your guns listed on the card that you had, that you owned. So you were allowed at the point of time, not rifles and heavy uh, artillery, but you were allowed to bring your guns and take them out on patrol with you as long as they were your guns, so as backup guns. So... Almost all the cops, we had to. You had your regular service revolver, and then you had your off-duty revolver. You all carried two guns on patrol. and it, it, So that was your protection. At least you had your six plus six plus five, and you felt uh, a little bit assured that you didn't have to go to the loading motion. There's nothing worse. Worked. There's nothing worse than me in a gunfight with a revolver and having to stop and reload. And, and try to find cover and concealment. And I had that happen to me with with a guy whose arm was semi-automatic. He was wanted for murder and robbery. And, and long story short, it was a big shootout. And I'd fired four rounds at a revolver and I was in the middle of the street. And I'm thinking to myself, and it's funny how your mind processes information when this is going on. I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I hit him or if I hit ducks. I don't know what happened, but he's reloading and I'm in trouble. I got two rounds left and I don't have time to reload and I got no cover. I don't know where to go. Yeah, so I ran up and tackled him. And, and Peter, yeah. what I realized was he was having problems reloading the forty-five because I'd shot him in the wrist. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yes, and but that happened to me, that almost that exact scenario where I went in with one of my team and we hit a building, we raided the building, and who took the sides? And I went in with my cop who saved my life, Bobby Smith, a real hero, you know? And it's always who goes through the door first. He went through and we're chasing a guy out, and the guy jumps. It was like an abandoned building, and the guy jumped out the back. And as he jumps out the back, he turns and lets loose a few rounds at me and my, uh, my guy, one of my guys, Bobby Smith. And Bobby fires back at him, and a few rounds, four out of his six. And then they, on a, on a, a run, the guy turns and didn't, they didn't hit each other. Nothing, nobody got hit. Now we're running down the street, and I go to the corner, and I head them off. And I knew my guy was out of ammo. He might have had one or two left in his gun. The guy turns, and he was going to kill my guy. He was only about 10 feet away. I was about 25 feet away. And I let loose with four rounds, and I hit him. But I knew 
that when my guy was out of ammo, it was the only gun he had, and it was a problem. You know, and that sort of, man, that kind of a situation, that puts fear into you. And when you've got to start counting your rounds, they always say, oh, count your rounds. Yeah. What are you kidding me? Count your rounds. Well, I can barely, barely tell you what was happening during these things. And I know it sounds crazy if people haven't been in it. And it just, you lose sense, or I should say, I lose sense of so many things. I didn't hear what I was supposed to hear, like a partner screaming. I could barely hear him. I, I, I couldn't tell you what the guy looked like. I couldn't tell you how tall he was. I couldn't tell you anything. I was so focused on the the weapon he had and he was firing at me. And that's what, I, it's a physiological thing. I've heard lots of explanations about it, but it defies a lot of logic. Back then, Peter, we talked about how violent it was and we talked about all the different terror groups. And by the way, the golden era of terrorism in the United States, from what I've read, I think it was Newsweek magazine says, was the 1960s and the early 70s. There were so many bombings and so many police that were maimed, crippled, and killed due to that and due to shootings. What we see nowadays, we think, it's terrorism, it's terrorism. It pales in comparison to what happened every day back then. That's correct, Jay. It was countrywide, in particular of the Chicago and New York City, of course, but it was countrywide. But New York City got hit hard. We had a few bombings in New York City. People got blinded. Law enforcement people, they bombed station houses. They bombed Whitehall Street, down the draft board down there. And I'm telling you something, the, the, the BLA, the Black Liberation Army, it was a terrible group of people. The Black Panthers were bad, the killing cops. And, right. Uh, it, you know, and, and it was a bad time to be a police officer. We had no bulletproof vests, and, uh, you know, it, it, it was a horrible situation. Everybody knew. And then on, put on top of that, we used to get, we used to lose, like, in New York City, 13, 14, 15 cops a year back in the day, in the 70s. We used to go over that with suicides. Yeah. So, you know, the guys were so, so depressed with it. Uh, you know, that they were just taking their own lives. It was a horrible, horrible time to be a police officer. And I explained that to the young guys today and gals. Is it goes up and it goes down. Stand tall, stand fast. It will pass. It will pass. And you'll be back. You'll be back where you're supposed to be, where law enforcement is supposed to be, and uh, administrations change, uh, government changes. And remember this, you are an extension. You're the arm of government. So as the government goes, so goes police work. So, and, and you have to learn to absorb that and think for yourself, think for your family, and think for your well-being. And if you, never, if you don't feel right, I tell them all the time, if you're feeling, you get that bad feeling and you're overcome with it and your fear and everything else, then speak up. Speak up. But do not, do not take your own. And make sure you get some help. Before we talk about your career after policing, I want to say this. There are so many professional athletes that are the top of their game. They are magnificent specimens and they all have coaches, assistant coaches, personal trainers, sports psychologists, and, and teammates that they rely on to help them get better. So for anybody out there who's struggling, don't try to handle it by yourself. If they they can use help, you can use help as well. After retiring from police work, Peter, you started writing and you've become a prolific author. Tell us uh, again the three books you've written. 
Yes. Uh, before I retired, I started writing articles for the different police magazines around the country, about 12 of them or 15 of them around the country. And I wrote on the various topics like police brutality versus necessary force. I wrote on guns, semi-autos instead of revolvers. And I wrote a, a lot about police suicide and police stress. Uh, and I wrote that book uh, back in, and it was this book uh, after I retired, Stress Management for Law Enforcement, and that came out in 1999. It's online now, Stress Management for Law Enforcement, and that is a suicide preventative book, and it gives you all the different programs. The book is in the FBI library, and uh, that's like a, a handbook that's a guide for the families. It's a guide for the police officer on patrol and where he could go for programs that's going to help him. And you have and a, book, a book about your career? What's that called? Yeah, that's my other book about my career is Behind the Shield, A Journey Through the NYPD. And that's from my career starting as a rookie cop. And it just gives a feeling and it's, uh, of what it's like from rookie days all the way to retirement. And it, it gives you the pitfalls what's going to happen to you and it's it's been well received and the guys say thank you thank you because they really never never knew what it was like and we are almost out of time your latest book is called harlem raiders where can people get more information about you okay harlem raiders that's my latest book that's about the narcotics team that i had back in the 70s and that's everywhere books are sold and it's a action-packed book but it's a family story as well and I'm continuing with my writing career, and hopefully uh, we'll make some headway, and one day maybe we'll get a film, and Harlem Raiders will be on the screen. Peter Branzo, thanks very much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Uh, geez, I thank you so much, Jay. It has been an honor and a privilege. I hope I helped just a little bit. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show, Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.